Blog Talk Radio. conversation will not disappoint and as I always say because I always am we have the best guests and best topics not only online but just everywhere so we are excited about our show today and our guest is oh my goodness we have all fallen in love with her we have cried over her story we have cheered for her we have prayed for her we have just made her a part of our family without ever having talked to her, and I'm sure you'll do the same. Um, so Sarah, has lit, her name is Sarah Rodriguez, and she's lived through more heartbreak and loss over a 10-year period than most do in a lifetime. Her husband, um, his name was Joel, um, two-time cancer diagnosis, his fight, his eventual death, their struggle with infertility, and the near loss of her six-week-old daughter to bacterial meningitis. <sighs> Thank God Ella's miraculously survived that. She's almost two. And I love what the doctor said about her, and I can't wait to – I don't want to v- reveal a lot of the story, but I love, love, love this part when they said that um, her brain scan was incompatible with life. I just can't imagine living through half the stuff that Sarah has lived through. So, everybody, welcome to Loretta Canary Live for the very first time, Miss Sarah Rodriguez. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Loretta. I'm so excited to be with you. <laughs> That's our favorite word because we're excited. Um, let me tell you this just off the top before we go any further into your story. And I posted this on my Instagram page yesterday that your book, I mean, it is beautifully written. It has nothing to do with the quality and the excellence of the book. But this was the toughest book that I ever read and finished. It was so hard and difficult for me to read. But every time I I got to a page, I'm like, I can't wait to turn the next page. I didn't want to, but my soul was crying out for more of this book to, to, just to get through what you got through just by reading it. So I just want to tell you, this is my most memorable book. It really impacted my soul. So thank you for being so transparent and so strong and vulnerable at the same time to share this with all of us. Wow. Those are such kind words. And every time somebody says that they read our story and they feel a connection to it or that it changed them, that's just the most humbling thing in the world to hear. So thank you. 
So when you initially started blogging about everything, um, and then we'll go, you know, through the story, did you ever think that it would have this kind of impact? Was it for impact or to touch other people, or was it just something therapeutic for you to, to help you handle everything at the time? Well, when I first started blogging, I'd call myself a total accidental writer (laughs) because writing was always (laughs) something that came easy for me, but it was never something that I did until my husband's cancer diagnosis. And I remember that very first day we were trying to call all of our friends and all of our family members and tell them the news over and over and over again. And it was, it was hard and it was draining to keep having these conversations. And so I remember a girlfriend said, well, why don't you just start a blog? And then that way there's one central place for everybody to keep in touch with what's going on and how to pray for you and how to just stand with your family. And so I thought, wow, that sounds like a great idea. So it was the very night of his diagnosis. My husband and I sat down and he helped me, you know, because I had no idea how to, where to even start. So he helped me figure out a name and come up with it. And I remember writing my first post and just sobbing as I wrote um, because it was such a release. And when, when we put it out there on social media and everybody started reading it and passing it around and connecting to it, just I just had an inkling of what was to come and that um, our story was going to be used far beyond what I could have thought. Wow. I just can't imagine having to, to relive this every time you share on TV or radio or through your blog. And I can only imagine it has to be some kind of um, therapy therapy for you because you shared this story and you were living through it at the same time. Most people wait until after it's all over and then they share, but you started sharing with all of us, um, like you said, the night he, um, Joe, you guys received that diagnosis. So let's kind of um, go backwards because we're fast forwarding a lot and I know we can't <laughs> tell the entire story. So um, when you, you left your small hometown and you moved to New York, and then you met Joel, and you thought this New Yorker, you, you were super impressed with him at first until you <laughs> tried to flirt with him. That was so funny to me. <laughs> Share that part with us. Yeah, I, I met him through a friend, and a group of us went to the mall to hang out, and I remember thinking he was so cute. He was tall, dark, and handsome, um, this New Yorker born and raised, and so different from me, and I decided that I was going to try to flirt with him, and he his first stop he wanted to make was at a candle store, which I thought was so funny because what guy wants to go to a mall and go to a candle store, but that's where he went, so I went in and tried to flirt by teasing him about it. I said, oh, I guess you you're really into candles. And he looked at me and he was totally unimpressed. And he was like, yeah, so I was like, okay, well, that didn't go very well. So, so moving right along. And I thought he couldn't stand me for probably two or three weeks. And then one night, just out of the blue, he said, would you like to hang out with me for a movie night? And I was like, what? But yeah, once that movie night happened, we were inseparable from there. Oh my goodness! Did he? Did you ever talk about that? Um, your failed attempt at flirting, and what did he say if you ever <laughs> talked to him about it? Oh yes, or he thought that I was to bring that up. <laughs> no, I talked to him about it. He thought I was cute, but he was trying to play a little hard to get. I think, <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys started dating, and it was just like the best one of the best times of your your life and his because you know everything was going good. He um, proposed to you, and of course you said yes. And moving forward, you all just want you just loved each other so much, couldn't wait to 
start a family. So how did that conversation um, take place? Well, we both knew that we wanted a family. You know, when we were dating, of course, you're going over your list of things that you want for yourself and for your future and see if you're compatible. And number one on that list for both of us was to start a family. And we both knew that we didn't want to wait very long to begin our family. And my mom got pregnant with me in her first month of marriage. So I just always assumed that it would be that easy for me as well. And that's what I had told him. I said, as soon as we make the decision to start, I'm sure it'll happen right away. And that's what we were kind of banking on. So um, when we were one year into marriage is when we um, decided to go for it and try to start our family. And um, we were not able to conceive um, like we had hoped. We were diagnosed with infertility and we spent about four years um, unsuccessfully trying to start our family. Wow, four years of wanting something. And I love how you said it when, you know, teenagers just or young people or anybody who's really not trying, it just happens. And then you were having such a difficult time for something you wanted so badly, both of you. And, and I love how you wanted it for him. You wanted him to be a dad because you just knew in your heart of heart he would just be this phenomenal dad. And I love mm-hmm. that just showed your depth of your love for him. You wanted it more for him than you wanted for yourself, and you probably could have handled mm-hmm. it if it wasn't that you wanted it so much for him. And that was like the first one, mm-hmm. like, man, she is sold out to him. She does truly, truly love Joel, and it was very obvious even in the beginning of the book that he really adored you as well. So, um, and I, I learned a lot about um, in vitro fertilization from just from your story. I never knew that much about it. I never knew that women had, are you okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I never <laughs> knew, you know, how difficult it was. I just thought you said, okay, we're going to try IVF and you go, get everything put in, and that was it. I never knew the 30 days of shots and all the stuff that you had to go through. So I was like, oh, my goodness. Did you know that going in that it was that intense? I did because I am a very type A planner. And so before we even got into the process, I had done my research and I had read, you know, anything that I could get my hands on um, about what the process would be like. And so that's why um, IVF for us was the very last option because we wanted to try everything else before we started. We did, um, I had to have a surgery, we did infertility drugs. And we just tried everything else because we knew that IVF was such an um, intense, intense process. And not just on your body, but also emotionally, because there's so much heightened emotions going into, okay, we're going to do this and will it work? And, you know, it's expensive and it's, you know, it's, there's so much to it that we knew that it was going to be, you know, quite the journey once we decided to really go for it. Wow. Uh I'm just in just in awe of that entire process and that it just hurts my heart cause, uh, as a mom and to know that other other women want to be moms and, and it's so difficult for them and then some don't get to do that. And then some women make the choice, I don't want children, and that is the most beautiful and loving and unselfish thing I've ever heard someone say was, I just chose not to have children. And some mm-hmm. people think, well, you know, they Everybody has an opinion about things, which, but I think that's a very loving statement. Okay, so, and you guys, we can't do this whole 10-year um, on this 30-minute program, but you have to get her book. <laughs> 
from Deaths We Rise, and you have to start reading her blog because I'm telling you, either you know someone. It's like an everyday Job story to me. It was the most. It is the most loving Christian faith-filled book I've ever read, but yet not one scripture is quoted. And it was just like part of a Bible story to me, though. And I was like, wow, she did all this. And you know she loves God and it's all about him and that you guys have this huge relationship, very spiritual relationship with God. And you did it in such a way that anybody, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, you would know that you all were guided by faith. And so was that something Joel and you did together? You each separately had this relationship and then came together and put God first. We definitely, we were both raised in Christian homes um, and faith was a part of both of our lives, our entire life. Um, But for, for him, he had experienced the loss of his mom when he was in high school and his father also passed away. Um, not long into our marriage. And so he had experienced loss and a testing of faith more so than I ever had. Um, The loss of his mother was a earth shattering event in his life. So um, that had kind of sent him on a path for a while of just really questioning God and questioning his purposes. But by the time we met, he had kind of returned back to that foundation of faith. And for me, I was a little bit different. I had like I said, grown up in this Christian home, gone to Christian school, and, you know, it was just a part of my life, but I had never really experienced much adversity in my life or much testing of my faith um, until really infertility and then, you know, in the battles that were to come. So thankfully, we both had that foundation and that center that was instilled within us, and we definitely used it to draw from throughout our entire journey. And reading your story and going through um, the first diagnosis of cancer, the football-sized cancer on his um, kidney and and subsequently having to have that removed, and then the diagnosis of the cancer coming back in his lungs and having that, I have – it just – it really – question my own faith. It caused me to question my own level of faith. It caused me to ask questions about Loretta. It just showed me how much I was taken for granted. It just, mm-hmm. it, you cannot read your story without it affecting you. You cannot just read your story, Sarah. You experience it because your writing is so amazing. And to be able to share how you shared and be so descriptive, I just don't know how you live through that every time by sharing. I know faith, and, you know, I'm a woman of faith. Most people would tell you that. But I even, I don't even know if I could do it. I just don't know. What do you tell people when they, if, I mean, I'm sure people have told you that before. Yeah. And how did you Well, for, for me, I've just from the very beginning when all of these things started happening to us, it was very easy to get down and get discouraged and question things and even be angry and upset at different periods of of the journey. But from the start, my husband and I just both decided that we wanted to use our story for a purpose and blogging became a a huge part of that. Um, But mostly it was just sharing, you know, we wanted to share what we were walking through in hopes 
that it would affect other people and bring hope to them and bring change. Um, we were big about we wanted to bring light into dark places because, you know, we all know we can turn on the news and just see story after story of the horrible things happening in the world. But we wanted our story to be different, and we wanted our story to be triumphant and to be hopeful. And that was like a precedent that he and I both set from day one, and we were united in that effort. And, you know, moving forward, that's always what I kept at the center. And as my focus is that our story is going to reach people and it's greater and it's bigger than me and it's greater and bigger than him. It's greater and bigger than anyone. Um, and so as we've told, you know, and, and even him, he got, he only got to see some of the fruit of it at the beginning, but we were always completely overwhelmed by the ways our story was being used. And that was the one thing that brought a little peace to our hearts that, that there were bigger things happening than just what we could see in front of us. Wow. And it just proves how God works or, well, it's not in the Bible that he'll put no more on you than you can bear. But there are some scriptures that definitely back up that statement that was made by somebody else that people credit in the Bible. But that particular um, (laughs) verbiage is not in the Bible. So Yes. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) I know people quote that, misquote that all the time. That, That is not what the Bible says. You Oh, that's why it's so important. Not at all. Um, Even if you go to church every Wednesday and Sunday, to know the word for yourself because people are doing the best they can based on their own relationship, their own knowledge of the Bible, their own studying. That's why the board does say study and show thyself approved. So so when people, like I have friends who have, um, I'm really a part of the Down Syndrome Association national thing because I use my show as a platform for awareness and education. And so when people see families like that they feel so sorry and they just think that these people, you know, got the tail end of a stick. And I'm thinking, and I may have thought that pre, you know, in my infancy of understanding this whole, uh, and I don't like the term special need children or special needs or handic. I don't like labels at all. So they're just, they learn differently. And so families are different. So, and I'm saying all that to say, do people, how do your some people feel so sorry for you? Now I, Earlier, probably 10, 20 years ago when I wasn't as real in my faith, I probably would have felt that kind of emotion. But what I know about God is he's so sovereign, he's so good, he's so real. I didn't feel that sorrow for you. What I do feel for you is that God loves you and Joel so much and he trusts you so much. He knew you could go through this. So I'm like, God loves you so much. That's why he Mm -hmm. chose you to have this life compared to somebody else who wasn't strong enough. So how do you feel about that? Did you ever think, and I know sometimes you say, well, Laura, why this? And we did this. And that is so human. That is so, such a normal response. And I love how you shared that too, where you had your moments of doubt. And did you, like any other human being going through something so crushing and so devastating, um, you shared that rawness of that emotion. And God can handle it. That's what I'm trying to say. God can handle mm-hmm. all of our, our stuff. Did you ever feel that you were called out or singled out or you just felt like his love was sovereign enough to get you through all the time? Well, you know what the interesting thing is, is within the Christian community, um, a lot of what we want to talk about is blessing and how God blesses us and how, um, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, if you do this, you'll get that, you know, um, just kind of that doctrine. But we don't really ever 
it's not popular at least to talk from the pulpits about suffering. Um, but yet scripture is filled with story after story of suffering mm-hmm. and of people that mm-hmm. had to endure a lot of really hard things. And, you know, even Jesus, you know, on the cross and, and in those mm-hmm. moments where he was on the cross crying out, feeling forsaken by God. And, and, and we don't want to ever talk about that, but I will say that in my suffering, it has brought me to a, a higher ground, to a higher place. It has made me a better version of myself. You know, everything that we've walked through um, built something within us. And as hard of a path as it's been, I would never um, go back and do it over again because I could not imagine um, not seeing the world the way that I see it now. And, and all of that was, was attained through tragedy and it was attained through suffering and all of that, um, made me a better, a better Sarah. And, um, we don't want to talk about obtaining, um, you know, goodness within us through suffering. It's, it's like I said, it's not popular whatsoever, but the, you know, that scripture where it says that the testing, the trying of our faith produces. Mm -hmm. And that's because as we walk through, it is producing and rising up something within us that is so beyond us and beyond our understanding. And, and that way I look at what I've walked through and it's actually been a privilege in some ways um, because of, of where it's brought me to now. I, I definitely agree with that, and, and we, we like to have the we can handle the Santa Claus God. We can handle the, the God who just blesses you, and then, like I said, when we see families that we consider uh, and we want to feel sorry for, but they have this, they love their babies just like we love our babies. They love their husbands and their wives who have um, medical challenges and illnesses different from us, and they still love, they still do everything like us, and there is no person on this earth who gets to be here without challenges and trying times. They're different. They look different, but they produce, they produce the same faith, the same um, patience, the same kindness, the same oneness of God if you allow it to, regardless of what your challenge is. And one thing I can say about your book when I say it impacted my soul, it, it reminded me of that. It reminded mm. me of how and you do such a great job in your book talking about the realness of beauty for ashes. Not that if you go through something like I've, I've lost a son, he was 16, he died from a, from seizure. So I get a lot of what you're saying from a personal level, but spiritually I know we all can have that same strength and faith and vulnerability and transparency and call that beauty for our ashes instead of saying, because I went through something, I'm going to get a brand new car, I'm going to get a brand new house. So I like how you lovingly um, gave honor to God by admitting those vulnerability, you know, your vulnerabilities and your transparency. And I mean, the book really causes you to look inward at your own life because you talked about taking things for granted and being in the moment. And it was it. Once I got past, you know, what you went through with your husband, not past it, but. I started dealing with Ellis. Now that's what mm-hmm. really tore me apart was mm-hmm. when you allowed them to take her off. And, and, and this is like a good movie. I don't want to give so much away because I want people to read it and I want them to have the same level of discovery and revelation that I had. That's why I'm trying to go through the mm-hmm. back door on this conversation with you. <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> just, I just now that part I cannot imagine waiting and wondering if my baby has has gone on and I got to go check with somebody. Mm-hmm. That that part really rib just just I just that's when I really hurt for you, and I guess I've been hurting the whole time I was reading, but that part really got to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the hardest part I feel like in that situation with my daughter was I had just had to remove my husband from a ventilator a year and a half prior um, because he he had several strokes caused by a surgery for the cancer and ended up passing away. And then here we are facing a situation um, with my daughter a year and a half later. And, you know, when you read the book, you'll you'll get to hear about her life and just how miraculous you know, her life and her birth was, but then to be, you know, go from that miraculous moment to now be facing, you know, the worst depths ever, which is having to, to possibly say goodbye to her after I just said goodbye to her father. And it was beyond comprehension. You know, everything with her was so magnified because of what we had walked through with him. So it was, Mm -hmm. it was horrible. The worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. And I just want people to, and the beauty of it is how you lovingly decided, I want to be in the moment. I want to hold her when she does. And you were, you were okay with it. You know, as much as a mom could be okay with her daughter transitioning before her, because that is the most unnatural thing in the universe is to have your daughter, your son transition to heaven, even though you know they're not lost, you know exactly where they're going, but that's got to be the most difficult thing that a person, a parent can live through. But yet you prepared yourself in such a beautiful and loving, loving way. And God, he did what you, you, you know, you were, you were okay with it. And God wants us to be okay and not tied to results. Just give him the glory. If he takes her now, if he allows me to have this minute with her, then I just love him for that. I, I just appreciate it. I'm grateful. I worship him. And then God gave you the most beautiful gift that on this side of heaven was to, to allow her to continue to breathe, even having been taken off the the uh, ventilator. And how you shared that with your readers and with the audience, that just, that's what I want to live for. I want to point people to God. And that's what you do. You keep pointing us to him You without being in it so much you're living through, but you keep pointing us to his glory and to him for everything. And I just, I, I'm indebted to you for reminding us about that through your story of heartache and um, trials and tribulations and everything that you went through and your mom and dad being there for you and your friends and you allowing that and them not giving up on how hard it was for you and seeing putting themselves for, because I know it had to be hard for the mom, your mom and dad to see you go through this. Mhm. Yeah, it was hard for everybody, you know, and you know, I had my family and I had girlfriends in the room with me when my husband, you know, died and I had friends and family with me in the room when um we removed my daughter from the ventilator and so, you know, they were God's hands and feet on this earth for me, um being there holding up my arms. They would always tell me, you know, we'll be like your Aaron, you know, when when you're in the midst of a battle and you can't even hold up your arms, we'll hold your arms up for you and we'll believe for you. And, you know, friends like that are priceless treasures. And I knew that before, but I know it even more so now. 
Oh my goodness! Oh, because I knew it was gonna fly, and I'm trying. I don't. I want you to talk, and I'm just so caught up in how it affected me, and I apologize for that. But you, you, you <laughs> created a, a memorial for Joel. Something again, instead of it being about you and what you were going through, you again thought of other people, and you created this this random act of kindness day moment um, to keep. Because he was, your husband was that kind of person. He was a giver. He was always, you know, trying to take care of everybody else and, and be that for them. So you took what you knew about him and just made his life again continue to be in all of our hearts. And you want you can talk about that, what you did. Well, I, the first, yeah, the first anniversary of his death was coming up, and I knew that it was going to be a hard day. And so I started thinking, well, how can we take a hard day and take some of the sting away from it? So, he, like you said, my husband was a giving person. He loved doing things for others out of the kindness of his heart. That was just such a portrait of him and who he was. So I thought, well, what if we made that day about going out and doing random acts of kindness for other people? And so I put the word out on my blog, and I said, does anybody want to join in? And hundreds of people from everywhere signed up and they said, yeah, we'll do it. And so what we did was I gave them everyone a little card and they would go out and do something for someone and give them the card and it would point them back to our website to tell the story about, you know, my husband and how we were honoring his life. But I just told everyone, I said, you can do whatever you want, you know, just, just um, be free in, in your, your uh, ideas. And so some people would mow other people's lawn, people bought people groceries, people got them Starbucks, people got free tanks of gas. I mean, the sky was really the limit and everybody took the vision and really ran with it, which was so cool. And, you know, every year we've done it every year since we just did our third year of Choose Joy Project. And I always get emails from people who are um, recipients of the acts of kindness and they say it touched them so much. And not only that, it, it, it touches those of us who get to go out and be the giver. So it's so gratifying every single year to do. Oh, I just love that. Oh, I'm telling you, our time is basically up, but had I had three hours with you, Sarah, it would not have been enough to talk about your journey um, of beauty from ashes, of marching toward purpose out of the pain. Your story is definitely, as they say, awe-inspiring, and it will definitely encourage people to grasp tightly to their own faith and to rise above even the most daunting of circumstances because you lived and you share by example my hats off to you. We'll have to do this again. Please promise you'll come back on. Thank you, Sarah Rodriguez. <laughs> and yes, you guys can I find her at the blog. Wonderful. Yes, she's going to be back. So everybody-